And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling up in East London and but or as always resonating way beyond this little corner of the world. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Jesse Lawson for our final show of the year. Hello, Eastcasters. This month, both Jesse and I will be playing you some of the audio from some of the other projects that we work on while uh, we're not at Eastcast. And we'll also revisit the Saucius Club in Hackney. Yeah, I'm going to be taking a break from starting conversations this month to bring you a preview of my new podcast. And later on, we'll be hearing some live music from Hackneywick-based band King Tides. But first, let's hear from some of the members of Spotlight, a youth enterprise in Poplar with its own radio station. I run a weekly uh, radio club there and we've we've been working on this piece all term. I'll let the radio makers introduce themselves. My name is Rita Ferreira. My name is Mew Huin, and we are here from Spotlight Radio Club in Langdon Park. In October, Rita and I visited Reurban Poplar in the Teviot Estate garages, which we discovered was just behind the Spotlight Centre. When we arrived, there were students from Central St. Martin University preparing food for the big outdoor dinner. We were later introduced to Carlotta, who gave us a guided tour of the site. My name is Carlotta Novella. I'm part of Public Works and we are art and architecture practice that has been working in East London and around the UK for the past, I guess, 10 years. And this project is called Urban. We are connected to this project that is, of course, quite temporary at the moment. But in Teviot Estate, at the old car park and garages, which the residents used to use, but the garages now are quite small for a regular car. So a lot of these garages haven't been used for many, many years. And what the Housing Association has done is they invited us to kind of come on site and bring all these four containers, which I'm going to give you a tour now, so if you want to follow me. So we start from the first container, which is a Tullendi library. A Tullendi library is a, is a space that collects tools from the industry, like construction industry. So after normally two years, all the developers and construction companies, they normally get rid of their tools because they have to refresh them either because they're old either because it's good practice to kind of have new tools. A lot of those tools get sold or some cases they get thrown away. So either we get the tools donated to us or we resource them from construction companies. And all the tools that are inside these containers are stored in a library. 
uh, that works very much like a book library. Instead of taking a book, you take a, I don't know, a grinder or like a table. So you pay a very small fee every year to be able to use it. And then you share all the tools. You can also use the library to store your own tools in case you don't have space at home. And so then the, these tools have like a longer life. You know that the lifetime of a drill, it gets used for approximately eight minutes. So the rest of the time is left unused. So from there, we go to the next container, which is a classroom. And in this sense, it's about the idea of uh, sharing of knowledge and skills. So the idea is that this space becomes a place where people that have interest in things that they want to teach other people can come and do it in this classroom. Outside the classroom, as you see, we had these containers, which are quite big. So they're 20 meters containers, and they were donated to the project uh, three years ago, roughly. And we kind of cut them open, took off the roof, took off the side, tried to make them less containers as possible, but still they are designed in a way that you can still lift them and put them somewhere else. So the entire site is completely mobile. So the idea is that eventually now we are at the car park here in Tavio State, but we're going to find another spot on the other side of the A12. There is a kitchen which is very much in construction as well. And uh, the idea is that the kitchen uses very much food that is going to waste. And the kitchen is open to all the neighbors in the area, which are very welcome to come and use it anytime. At the moment, we are still still in the process of fixing the plumbing, and so we don't have water and we have to put uh, the gas. But the gas brings us to the last container, which we're going to go. An anaerobic digester. Do you want to explain again, Rokia, what an anaerobic digester is? So basically what we've got in here is an anaerobic digester and it's a very tiny one compared to most anaerobic digesters. Um, it's a bit like a cow's stomach, so it's basically digesting any organic material like food waste or, or it could be manure, or it could be sewage, but we're not doing sewage here, don't worry. So basically what we're planning to do is to put food waste in from the cafe. You can't see it very well, but over there we've got two tanks behind all of that wood uh, and it's all in insulated and inside the second tank there's a load of microorganisms and what they will be doing is breaking down the food waste as it kind of moves through and in the final stages of that digestion it produces gas the gas that it produces is has got methane in it it's about 60 percent methane and so methane is the burnable bit it's like the renewable fuel that we're getting from the food waste and the rest is CO2. So what we'll do is we'll pipe that gas to the cafe over there and we'll cook with it on the hob. You can also do things like generate electricity with it and use it as a vehicle fuel. The other thing that will come out of it, so it'll break down some of it into gas, but the rest of it will remain as a liquid and it will contain all the nutrients from the food waste. And so that liquid comes into this tank here and that will fill up with all this dark black liquid fertiliser. That's what we can use on the food growing around this area, sort of on the allotment sites, and, and maybe we might set up some hydroponics. Um, hydroponics is growing without soil, so we'll basically put that fertiliser around tubes and pumps and pots and things and grow food with it. It's quite interesting when you can kind of understand it in the sense of like how much biogas the food waste can produce to be able to cook, for example, a soup. So imagine one of those caddies of, that you have outside your door to collect food waste. And if you have that full of food waste, you, can, you could make about one cubic metre of biogas. And that, that you could cook with for about maybe four hours. So from seven kilos of food waste, maybe four hours of cooking, or maybe a bit longer if you, you know, got a small cooker. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Rukia. I hope that it's understandable. What do you guys think about it? I think it's a really good way to kind of spread because I think it's very eco-based, so it's kind of saving the environment and everything. And I think that's a really good idea, especially with the um, with the big kind of 
and a cow stomach. Just the cow yeah, stomach. The cow stomach. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I think that's a really good way to kind of spread the message, saying that oh, your waste can still go into good use. Yeah, and also the library, I think, is a really good idea. It does give a sense of community. This mm-hmm. does feel like a really chill place to go to mm-hmm. if you just want to talk or just somewhere to go. And I, like, I mean, that school thing is probably my favorite. Yeah. yeah. It's probably my favorite because, like, I would never think that you could use an old container to teach other people things, yeah. and you know. And it's just, it's really creative thinking, and yeah, yeah that's no, a really good thing. It's nice, it's because it's, um, I guess, it's created partly with the community. Hello, Esther. <laughs> so she's Esther. She's also involved in the project. She's about the public works. Esther, Hello. this is the interview. You can also tell a bit more about what you're going to be doing here. So I'm going to be doing things around green spaces. So this area, we're right by a really busy road and Poplar has some of the poorest air quality in London. So it's looking at how you can plant in a way that like kind of counters this or improves it and what the kind of techniques you use. So ideally the garden will kind of act as a place to experiment with like new ideas of how you kind of can improve air quality as somewhere to educate people about the importance of air quality and then also as a kind of citizen science lab to record air quality. But um, how do you think you will attract people in coming in and kind of educating them? So the, the way that we've been doing it so far was very much trying to be on site as much as possible. The project is very much volunteer-based now, so we are all volunteer. So at the moment, for the last few months since we started, we've been trying to come here every week, at least one day or two days a week. And this meant that using our volunteer time to open it up and show people that we are here and they can come. It's tricky because a lot of people feel like that is a very much of a construction site. So it feels a bit intimidating at times. But when you're here and experiencing this kind of context, when people are here, they chat, so you eat and talk and explain what the project is all about, then suddenly it starts making sense. It starts becoming a bit of a little yard for all the residents here. They can treat it as almost like a communal yard. It's a site that doesn't really belong to anyone as it belongs to everyone in the sense that everybody is welcome to use it and make their own. Hello! Hello. We are going to just give a big hug. Oh my God! I haven't seen you in ages! We met this summer. I come for the first time. I saw what they were doing in major projects and I've just been coming every other Sunday but as of recently I moved. But what they're doing is great. They've come a long way. It's lovely. So slowly, slowly it's been building up. So... Evelyn was living just next door and she's been literally helping us so much when we had the first few events. So how much has it changed from the first event that you went? Oh here? God, a lot. And when they first started, <laughs> they only had like one hut. They hadn't had the kitchen put in, they hadn't had the workshops put in, the yes. benches, nothing. And the crowd has doubled in size. Do you feel like this gives the community more of a sense to gather around, communicate Absolutely. with each other, be I think, more I connected? Think if, we, if we continue this, it will not only educate the young people, influence the neighbours to meet each other and just grow. And we can, we can do it bigger. We can do it bigger. Yeah. I am from around here. I live around here. My parents live there, but I just moved. But yeah, this is great for the community because not everyone knows each other anymore. And it's a good way to get everyone integrated, children learning things like my daughter's learned so much about paints yes yes she came to the big <laughs> how you can make paints <laughs> with just natural products like branches and bugs <laughs> do you remember yes. that yeah <laughs> so it is very educational as well we want to know about your experience when you made your own paints 
Nat with natural sauces. How was that? Um, good. Was it? So what kind of ingredients did you use to make the paint? Do you remember what you used? No. You used, uh, do you remember they used, uh, it was that, that bug that they came, came from, I think it was South North, no, Central America somewhere. And then they, they mixed it. I remember the bug. Yeah. <laughs> and you made, what colours did you make? It's like a reddish colour, but mm -hmm. it's like pinky. Mm -hmm. It's together. Yeah. And, uh, and I think yellow, I don't know, I can't remember. And purple. Purple. And do you remember one of them where you had to soak the paint overnight, so you had to hang it? To, to, to separate the colour from the actual liquid? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> They're hanging it um, like that. Okay, alright. You had fun, didn't you? So, popular bases in London, yeah. and you know, with the youth nowadays, a lot is on social media and all this. Do you think, so your idea is this gives them more of a knowledge to get to, get to know each other, to kind of just expand on what they do and give them more things outside yeah. of the social media world, yeah. right? Yeah, and I work for a recycling company. It is a good way for young people to think about what they're doing, think about the environment, think about how they can produce things, reproduce things, reuse things, recycle things. So it is very, very good. Do you think your friends will enjoy this? Yeah. Okay. You, you invited one of your friends down, didn't you? Yeah. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, girls. Bye. So thank you, New Rita and Layla from the Spotlight Radio Club. And if you want to know more about um, urban uh, or public works or even Spotlight Radio, um, we'll make sure that all the links and the information are on eastcastshow.com. Uh, so I won't be playing an episode of Starting Conversations this month, but I am really excited to share the next one with you in January. Um, it's going to be all about hair next month. I also have a little update. My first episode of Starting Conversations was about periods. Uh, you can listen to it on our website still, eastcarshow.com. I wanted to let everyone know that there's a protest to end period poverty called the Pink Protest next Wednesday, the 20th of December at 5pm on Parliament Square in London. Uh, it's a call on Theresa May and the British government to provide free menstruation products for all pupils already on free school meals. Uh, and everyone's invited, so you should go. Um, I will be there. Uh, so instead of starting conversations, I'm going to share an extract from my new podcast, uh, Now Then. Now Then is a podcast sharing the stories of people who are over 70 years old, told in their own words. This is the first 10 minutes of the third episode, which features Newton Dunbar, who is a Hackney legend who set up the first club in Hackney. <laughs> this, this is, is now, then. now Then. Stories of people over 70 years old, told in their own words. This is Newton. Well, as time goes on, as I say, every day you learn a little bit more. And as you look at the world as it portrays or personifies itself, you realise two things that you need to know, that you have control over nothing but yourself. And two, if you seek truth, then the truth that you'll find is within yourself, because everything else a fallacy. Everybody has their own individual truth. None of it belongs to you. How did you learn that? <clears throat> By being extremely observant.
Well, my name is Newton Dunbar, and um, at present I'm a DJ. My working name is Newton Ace. I was born in Jamaica, that's for sure. On my birth certificate it says 19 blank blank blank. <laughs> and that answers your question. No more than is necessary. If you definitely need an answer, then I will tell you further along in the interview. But, um, you know, I've been on this planet for a long time. In fact, I'm in some quarters known or thought of as an old codger. <laughs> I was brought up in a religious family. I was taught about God. And of course, readily with open heart, accepted all the things that you're taught. Because number one, it's not it's sacrilegious if you disbelieve. Number two, it's not holy. And of course, I'm not saying that what I was taught was wrong. There is a God that exists, but not in the way that I was taught. And I suppose you create an image of an ancient old man, bearded and serious, and also with extra, extra magical powers. And then later I was taught that, oh, that God lives within me. And that was a bit that made me think again. And um, it means that this very powerful being lives within me. So that would make me a part of a very powerful concept. And I, I must uh, look back in retrospect that I have created something. And the first thing that you're taught about God is the Creator. I've now learnt to be part of the truth that I seek. And the input that I've just made has put me on, I won't say a platform, I say a, a stage, Shakespeare said it, you know, all the world is. I've always had a stage surrounding my life. In my previous business, which I ran for 30 odd years, the stage was the center point, and that was my world. And it, it was a stage. Madness, madness, they call it madness. Well, the Four Aces was a club that I started in Hackney, London, namely Dalston Lane. And it was the first club in Hackney in the late 60s. Music that was around was music that you heard in the pubs. And probably down in the West End, it was all ballroom type music. There was not, nothing, there was a little bit of anchoring on swing and jazz. But then again, you had to go to the West End to experience this. Those were the times when me and our friends were about exploring how and where we could go to enjoy music that we required because in Jamaica, which is where I'm from, the music that we heard was American type music because we were very near to America and we would pick this up on little box type radios that, you know, somebody happened to have either friend of yours or the appearance did etc because that was quite a serious thing having a radio and of course my family had one and this box type radio 
where we as kids kind of became curious about listening and what we could pick up. The only station that we could pick up that we could understand was, music-wise, is Radio Luxembourg, strangely enough. And I remember hearing Elvis Presley coming over this radio. And, um, of course, when I finally came to England, this was circumstantially orientated, I wanted to leave Jamaica and my background because my parents were too strict. I was brought up in a very strict environment. I couldn't even go to the prom, so to speak. I could understand it was a protective thing initially because um, Jamaica, as it is now, had its own little click of danger zones and my parents kind of overprotected me in particular, but it all made me feel a bit restrictive and that's my reason for really wanting to leave Jamaica at the time. Looking back at that time, it was Jamaica was and still is the most beautiful place on earth, but it's got its dangers and that remains so today. So they say and justify that if you want to go to heaven, you've got to pass through hell and Jamaica personifies this in a way. And um, I came to England uh, to study. That was a credible reason. But my main deep down reason was to escape. I came here at the age of 18. And in those days, there were not many jobs. The only job that was available was on the railways. And I got a job at the railway at King's Cross. I then entered to a new world of how to live and to exist. And in those days, what used to run the railways were the steam engines. So I started working on the steam engine at my own experiences there, which is quite another um, phase. And of course, I stayed on the railway for about five, five years and of course forged some kind of existence and got to know steam engines. They became a part of my life then because they were like a living entity and you grew very fond of steam engines. But then at the end of five years, it started changing. It got out into another phase. Steam engines were being phased out and they became diesel electric, which was more vibrant and efficient, etc. And of course, I then, like many people at the time, became very disenchanted with the railway and the changes that were being made. So I left the railways and went into doing something else, which was a stepping stone into what I eventually, the step I eventually took, creating my own business, eventually led me to creating my own music venue, which was a nightclub, which I will tell you. That's a different phase. So, can we have a little break? Eh? <laughs> Explain, you see, that is what they mean to me. Madness, madness, I call it blackness. Yes, number one, I was intellectually aware that I was black, and I saw psychologically what dictated my surroundings, control-wise, and that was mainly people who were white and accepted that because that's the way the world was as it presented itself to me. 
in the sense where I'm concerned, which is music, the music that was looked on as a very small input of things. It was black music, and it was small in its input. And everything natural goes in a circle. The wind and the weather and everything that we acknowledge substantially has gone on a circuit. In this particular instance, reggae music, which started in my days of promoting it, as a very small blitz which couldn't hurt anybody and it was no worry. And in doing so, it was enjoyed by a few who experienced it, but it wasn't acknowledged on a large scale. In today's term, it's done a full circuit, it's back on phase, it's mega. And one of the places it came through, or the main place and initial place, was the Four Aces Club. You're such a good talker. Am I? Yeah. Oh, well then. I'll have to use that talk. Propaganda ministers. Propaganda ministers. I've got a human view. So that was uh, the first 10 minutes of episode three of Now Then with Newton Dunbar, or DJ Newton Ace. Um, he's featured on East Coast before, actually. Um, Pearl made a, a story about the Foresters Club. Yeah, and I would say he's an old friend now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, it was amazing to meet him. I went up, I interviewed him in his flat, and he, he had the curtains closed. It was this like, dark living room. And you can hear on the, on the recording, he keeps like, flicking his lighter, and he's like, chain-smoking cigarettes and gave me like, those three-in-one like, sugar and milk and coffee sachets. And it was just, yeah, it was so much fun. We just, like, sat and chat for ages. Um, so, yeah, so that was Now Then. If you'd like to hear more or the end of Newton's story, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on most other podcast platforms. Um, we also have a website, nowthenpodcast.org. Um, each episode is released with an original illustration by my really good friend and amazing artist, Catherine Cormier. So it's worth checking that out. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at nowthenpod. So please do. Right. So imagine if Frank Ocean had an affair with QOTSA and at this, on the same night, the Red Hot Chili Peppers had a one night stand with the Black Keys. Then some sort of miracle offspring met and had a child of their own who went to play dates with Alt-J. Well, that's the sort of ballpark you, that we try to sum up the awesome King Tides. Well, and that was written by someone who went to one of your gigs, I believe. <laughs> so welcome, King, uh, King Tides. He, 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 was, he, he was a friend. Yeah, he, he was definitely a friend. He was a good um, friend after that. <laughs> so we're here with Sam Burgess, uh, Jack Poston and Ismail Ahmed. Uh, Chris Mason is also in the band, but he couldn't make it tonight. No, he was Mason working Chris. until late, so yeah, he couldn't come. Well, he is here in spirit, of I'm course, sure. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you so much for joining us Thanks on the show. Us. Thank you. Um, Cheers. So, how do you? How did you? How long have you been going? What is it? Quite a relatively new band. Um, it's been about a year now. Yeah, um, about a year, a year since our first public We've been playing music together in so many different iterations for... Nine years. Nine years? About nine years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was... Well, we, 
uh, yeah, I was 15. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was stumbling there. Yeah. yeah, I was 15, and uh, it was the three of us. There was not three of us in this room. There was another guy called Keith, um, and me and Sam. We made a, a, a thing called Stretch Electric um, a little while later. Izzy came into the band as uh, an amazing guitarist. Um, who was the best I'd ever seen at the time. I'm okay. Um, I'm he doesn't like me saying these things, so I'm going to keep saying <laughs> Super them. average. Um, yeah. there. <laughs> he was super average at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you he very much, Sam. Really, but... Uh, and <laughs> it was nice selling. <laughs> I mean, no, he's great. He's great. <laughs> and he... Uh, yeah, that was the four of us, and we went on and did that for a little while, went to university. Uh, obviously, priorities change, disbanded a little bit, um, and then Keith, Sam, and another guy called Chris... Uh, carried on we started a punk band called uh, Beanbeard which people say is a terrible name but I, think, I still think it's great I like, the yeah. yeah Beanbeard I quite liked it Yeah, yeah I, can't, I can't really remember exactly how it came about I think someone had beans in Chris, their beard yeah Chris got yeah. beans in his beard and we were like oh that was it that's the name so, but, uh, yeah. very so, punk of you <laughs> King, King Tyson where's that name come from um, where does it come from is he uh, it's really pretentious to say <laughs> Uh, it came to me in a dream. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even know this. <laughs> yeah, I had nothing else to say. I kind of learned what it was a couple of weeks beforehand, but I never really thought that it could be a band name. And then I kind of imagined me performing, and then that just written above. And I was like, oh, cool, that sounds pretty chill. Oh it means God. the highest point in a wave, essentially. But um, yeah. It was, it was just going to be King Tide, but then there was apparently a King Tide, so I just added an S to the end because I'm very original. I know because I Googled you and yeah. I found the other one. <laughs> yeah, they're, f- they're, they're from like New an Zealand. Australian, yeah. like. What, what kind of band are they? I, I have know. no idea. I don't know. No they're, idea. They're, yeah, they're not Australian either, they're from New Zealand. Yeah, so. yeah all that. Hopefully, we'll meet them soon. <laughs> How would you guys. So, that was a description by one of your mates who came to see you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very good friend, yeah, yeah. How would you guys describe the King Tides? King Tides. Uh, that's such a difficult uh, question. I, well, no, I've, I've, I've been. I've been chiseling away at this. People have been asking me, and I have okay. to come up. I have to come up with an answer. Yeah. Yeah. I've, got, I've gone for. I've gone for soulful rock. There yeah. we go. Uh, soulful gone, rock. I've gone for soulful rock. So, so uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go with that. Because I think the thing is, we all come from different. Uh, or we all have different musical tastes that we prefer, or that we all like the same stuff. We're all quite broad-minded in our music tastes. Um, but you know, Izzy's into. Uh, uh, D'Angelo, Ray Charles, uh, Marvin Gaye, Donny Hathaway. I just. Um, I've always really loved neo soul, especially in soul music, and I've also liked alternative rock. And I just wanted to mash them together, but in a way that's not too jarring, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know we've always been into rock, and yeah, rock, heavier rock. Uh, one of my favorite bands, Queens of the Stone Age. Um, Sam's is as well, and yeah. Chris is really into his like heavy rock. Like heavy and, rock and, yeah. and grime just and, a and lot grime, of grime yeah. slash, <laughs> slash grime I'm not sure yeah. I'm not quite sure where grime comes it doesn't come in at all but I, I just need to let people know that Chris exclusively listens <laughs> to grime <laughs> so you guys are all kind of balancing each other yeah, out yeah pretty much mass- yeah massively yeah. massively and, and it's really it's a really nice feeling because uh, it's quite um, there's an equilibrium when we come to practice uh, where one person will come up with something and then actually it's the whole band effort exactly. to come up with the music in the room and then it will be refined as we go on and we, yeah. we, it's very haphazard but it actually works for us where we come up with a song and we leave it for like a couple of weeks and come back to it and chisel away it again and make it refine it as, as we like and they can change like after six months yeah I've, I've heard some early recordings of some of our songs that are just bad well bad yeah <laughs> but they just sound nothing like what they sound like now yeah which yeah. is a good thing I think a, yeah, it's, yeah it's, 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 it's a great thing um and and it means that everyone has an equal voice in it, and and 
I mean, I think it means some decisions don't get made. Also, <laughs> that happens quite a lot. Wow! Yeah. But the decisions that do get made are, uh, are unanimous, and it's and it's yeah. I'm intrigued now. I think we need to hear something. Okay. So uh, we don't have full band. No, no, no. no. So how ha- how's this working? Explain well, to it's, us. Uh, it's, it's just going to be, be me. Yeah. It's going to be easy. Uh, I'm just going to be singing. Back to his solo days. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Um, what are you going to be playing? For? Uh, it's a song of our new EP. It's going to come out in two months. Uh, it's called Let Me Down. SoundCloud, King yep. Tides Band. You have to look for the red background with the white yeah. rose. That'll be us. Actually, no, the SoundCloud is just King Dash Tides. Oh, sorry. Yeah. King, King, King Tides Dash Band Tides. is all of our other handles. But yeah, for SoundCloud, King Dash Tides. And do you have any um, gigs coming up or anything like that? Um, no gigs at the moment because we are currently recording our EP. We are in the process, it's a very long process because of time and everything. 
but uh, we're planning to do a big gig, like an EP launch. <laughs> because of time and everything. Yeah, well, you know, time it's and real. everything. It's time and that, that pesky that, mistress. That every, that, everything in <laughs> that like, ever-fluid concept time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what is time anyway? Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, the plan is, uh, hopefully, uh, we do a big sort of EP launch gig. At the beginning of uh, February. At the beginning, beginning of February to launch the EP with... Mm. Uh, a few other bands that we know some of our friends um, yeah some of our friends and yeah, yeah. it should like be us on facebook so, um, to find out yeah. when the event will be king tides band on Promotion. facebook like us and we'll let you know when it is yeah and we've got uh instagram and twitter as well so yeah. uh, we tend to put up all photos of us rehearsing practicing uh and build up to the ep as well which yeah. will be coming out well you said two months i reckon sooner Maybe sooner. It'll come out sooner, but the yeah. EP launch will be within the next two months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. And hopefully, if we do have time, because we're um, we're not quite sure about our timings on this show. <laughs> to, this, it's ever this fluid. See, it's what we're saying. Ever fluid. Exactly. Popping ahead of. <laughs> so, if there's time and everything, we will hear from you later. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Last Cheers. Sunday, um, I met Carolyn Clark, the author of. The Lower Clapton Tales, which is a guide of Lower Clapton in Hackney, told through personal stories. Well, here we are in Clapton Square, which is a beautiful little square. This square was developed around 1700s and quite posh houses. They had a member of the Courtauld dynasty who were Huguenot refugees but then actually formed the huge Courtauld company. There was quite a battle originally to make it a public square because at one time it was all locked and finally in 1923 it was actually made public and that was after a 26-year battle. But by the sort of 1900s, a lot of these really big houses became factories, small industries. Particularly here, they had the rag trade. A lot of making clothes happened locally, including in some of these houses here. Virtually all of them are now flats. But a lot of the ones you see now that have been substantially improved were sewing factories. And in the book, there's actually a photo from inside one of them with all the women on their machines sewing away. Well, I'm Carolyn Clark, and I've just written a book that's been published by Hackney Historic Buildings Trust about Lower Clapton, and it's really a people's history of Lower Clapton. So although it goes right back in time, the main focus is on the 1900s to 2000, so the last 100 years. And I think we, we interviewed about 50 people for the book, and there's a host of photos, some of them that people gave them themselves, so they've sort of never been made public before. And it came out of a project I worked on with the Trust based around Trapple. Well, the book came out in October, and it's already selling well. The Clapton Beauty Parlour is doing great guns, <laughs> selling it to their customers. They're obviously featured in it as well, because they've got some fantastic stories to tell. Lower Clapton had a lot of things that were sort of Hackney-wide resources and one of them was its sort of centre of the Hackney electricity industry. At the time it was quite a municipal thing. 
to generate electricity. Lower Clapton was chosen for the power station down by the River Lee, obviously because coal could come in on barges. And also this magnificent Art Deco building here, which is the old electricity showrooms and offices. And that was actually built in 1925, and that's reflected in the architecture. And people remember queuing up in there to pay their electricity bills. That was before it used to all be done by post and some of the chats that happened in the queue. But it's quite a gorgeous building, but, I mean, I thought it was something a lot grander than yeah. that before. Well, that was municipal pride, because Hatley was really proud of the development. It brought street lighting, it brought modern living into many people's homes. And there were amazing adverts at the time, and I've got, I can remember a couple of them in particular, where it said, latest hot water by wire which was a novel concept at the time. And another one, when you think about the implication of this, it's huge. It said, invest in health through an electric refrigerator. And, of course, that was in the days when refrigeration was a rarity, and now we all know about food poisoning and all that stuff. So it was a real innovation, and that was the centre of it. You go there, you see your fridges, you might buy them on the Never Never, but um, that was a real selling point from a health perspective. Great. Shall we go and find another place to talk about? So how do you find the people to talk? Well, obviously you knew a lot of the people. Well, I knew a fair number of people in Lower Clapton because I've lived around here for a long time. Oh, hello. Hello, what are you doing? This is uh, Irene and Philip who were uh, volunteers with the project. Ah, So in fact, what did you do? What was your involvement as volunteers? Well, we volunteered on the basis that we've lived just down there um, for over 40 years so we fitted into the criteria yeah. we thought and Philip Did researched the metal box factory yeah. which was quite a big employer in Hackney in Lower Where, where's the metal box it factory? was just down Urswick Road on the right hand side where Sutton Square, where Sutton Square is now oh, okay, okay. so and I what did I do? I avoided quite a lot for some time and then <laughs> and then spoke to a lot of people that had lived around here. Eventually made friends with this lovely lady called Gillian who had two sisters, lives out in Essex now. They lived here between these two roads from when they were born till when they got married and so did their parents and grandparents. Got lots of stories and met a lovely family. On this side of the road, you've got the Round Chapel, which is the most fantastic building, and it's now run by Hatley Historic Buildings Trust. And it was built in 1870, so it's you know, almost 150 years old, and it's still standing. The reason why this is an important building, apart from the architectural heritage, is because of the history of nonconformist religions in Lower Clapton around the middle of the 19th century, you had an explosion of nonconformist religions. It's difficult to know exactly where it came from. A lot of it was more about egalitarianism beginning to creep onto the agenda. But when I sort of looked at records and minutes of round chapel meetings in those days, there was a lot of sort of holy-than-thouism about it, you know, that, that sort of edge... And then when we were interviewing people, it became clearer and clearer what, how important the Round Chapel was to the area. OK, so we're now, we're now the other side of Round Chapel. It's quite a walk round because it's a big building. 
on this side of the road on the corner now you've got uh, Harris's Euronics. Harris is a really old family company that have been around for over 80 years. They used to be in Clarence Road. Clarence Road was a major shopping road, and it still is. Harris's started off there, as did Percy Ingalls. And of course, looking at their original adverts from over the years, originally, of course, they were really promoting radio. They're a big radio specialist. It's always interesting. Now I expect it's sort of dishwashers and things. But the other thing about this corner used to be the home and studio for someone called Joseph Gamza, who changed his name by Deedpole to Gaines. And he took some fantastic photos of the local area. And the other significant thing about Joseph is that his son was Abraham Gaines, who is one of the country's leading poster artists. In 1942, he was the only official war poster artist for the government. And a lot of those posters people are familiar with, like the WRVS one with three faces of women, um, they were all done by Abram. And significantly, he also designed the emblem for the 1951 Festival of Britain. And that was his studios. We're in Linscott Road, just off Lower Clapton Road. And you can see there the most wonderful they call it a portico it's an absolutely magnificent structure and it's actually the remains the last remaining thing from an 1825 building that was the london orphan asylum and it's difficult to explain nowadays how enormous that was and that went on till 1882 when it was acquired by the salvation army as their congress hall and it has to be said, they weren't welcomed by everyone. They had quite a big social programme for a start, and a lot of um, the East End poor, um, especially young women, actually came to Lower Clapton, which didn't necessarily go down well with the neighbours. But also they had a slight reputation marching around the streets with their brass band, which a lot of people loved. But there were a lot of snooty comments from people like estate agents about how they've lowered the tone of the area. <laughs> And there's another photo in the book of the Basque refugees arriving just before the uh, Second World War, the Spanish Civil War. There were lots of child refugees then, and as there continues to be. Buses of them were brought here to stay in Congress Hall because it had the space for a while until they would find other locations. Mm -hmm. And there's one, one of the people we interviewed, remember coming to the back of it and sort of talking to them through the fence, trying to make sense of Spanish and <laughs> English. And they were obviously quite disorientated, the children. And then in uh, 1969, it became Clapton's Girls' School. And luckily, there's been a big fight to keep the portico because it is such a historic, magnificent structure and long, long may it remain. Well, we're now standing behind the frontage of the Mother's Hospital. It's now housing, but it was actually built by the Salvation Army in 1912 as part of their social program and person after person you meet was born in the mother's hospital or had a baby in the mother's hospital it's a huge impact on the local area and indeed on Hackney 
the way that it was designed was open wards and they used to have to wheel when someone was in labour out in the open to the labour ward. <laughs> so there were several issues. One, one woman remembered in winter and when it was raining she, they had to put almost a plastic mac over the bed as they wheeled them. Just down the road from the Mother's Hospital was the Venus Pencil Factory. One of the things that everyone noticed was it had the most enormous sign of a pencil on the front. It took up the whole of the frontage of the building, this pencil. Their advert, or their emblem or whatever, was the Venus de Milo, who of course stands there without her arms, advertising pencils. (laughs) A lot of people find that quite amusing. And people remember the smell of wood as we went past it. There was a lot of wood trade round here. And those sort of smells stay with you. And obviously Venus Pencils employed a lot of local people. If you want to know more, Lower Clapton Tales is available online um, at shoredichtales.com and at local bookshops, pages, Brick Lane Books and various other local outlets in the area. You're listening to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. All our stories, past and present, can be found on eastcastshow.com and if you ever... If you never want to miss a show again, just search Eastcast Show London on iTunes or your favourite podcast provider and you'll get the show straight to your feed. And leave us a review. Yes, please do. And um, just for a kind of Christmas treat, we dived, dove, I never know which one it is, dived, (laughs) dived into the East Coast vaults uh, as we felt it was time to revisit one of the most scandalous clubs in town. The only rule of entry is that you have to be over 65, um, although that's not quite true as they let me in. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, here is the Posh Club. My name's Simon Casson and I'm the producer for Ducky and we run the Posh Club in Hackney which is a club for uh, elegant elders, swanky senior citizens and glamorous golden girls. It runs every Wednesday at St Paul's Church Hall in Stoke Newington from 12 till 3 and it is uber, uber, uber glamorous. My mum was in her 80s and my sister did a tea party for my mum and three of her mates and made them nice sandwiches and served them tea in a teapot around someone's house. And they really, really enjoyed it because they didn't get out much. She sort of slightly formalised it and served them properly. And my mum told me about it and I thought, hey, that's a good idea. And for 20 years we've been running this thing called Ducky where we put on cabaret and performance and you know we run 20 years at the Vauxhall Tavern which is a gay pub in Vauxhall and so our history and our you know what we do for a living is putting shows on and dancing girls and cabaret and performance art things like that so I said to my sister why don't we combine it you do the tea and the cakes and the service 
and I'll put on the showbiz and then we'll invite my mum and all her mates and loads of other people. We'll ask everyone to dress up in their best clothes and we'll see what happens. And uh, so we did and it was a hit. My name's Dickie Eaton, I'm one of the producers with Ducky. Between Simon and myself, we put on all the different events that Ducky has. Posh Club happens in the afternoon because we realise that older people, which is who the event is for, don't always want to be out in the evening. They want to make sure that when the darkness comes that they're not training around the streets. It's easy to get around and it's a cabaret entertainment loving club, I suppose you could say, in a way, in a weird way. Actually, in the early days, we had some things that didn't make it in the final cut. When we first did the club, we showed films. They were a disaster, so we stopped showing them. Then we showed situation comedies on video screen. That didn't work, so we cut it. Then we had a hairdresser doing the ladies' hair like as they came in, and uh, that didn't work. But what did work was cabaret, poshcons, uniforms, fancy service, and ooh-la-la. And we definitely have a lot of ooh-la-la. I'm so glad to come here again, and uh, I love to be here. It's a very entertaining place, and uh, the food, the champagne, the cakes, everything is very nice. It's all uh, paid by the council, of course. But uh, we, we are highly entertained. Me and my friend Moses here, and my uh, friend Tina, we are all very happy to come here every time. Uh, we are allowed to come six times this season. So this is the second time I'm here. And I hope, hope to come all the six times. It is called the Posh Club for a reason, because we want everybody to put on their best Sunday afternoon outfit and come and enjoy themselves. I think there's several reasons why people come and why people want to come. Um, it's an opportunity for older people to come and dress up and look glamorous and be looked after and be given care and attention and treated in a really beautiful way. And in the meantime, we're putting different acts on stage. Some of them are like old musical acts, acts that they probably would have seen at some stage in their, in their lives. But they're not always available to older people at an affordable price. And that's what it's also about. It's kind of like it's £4. You can't even get two coffees at a fancy coffee shop these days for £4. We run two posh clubs at the moment. One is in Sussex, right, in Crawley. And one is in Hackney in uh, Stoke Newington. The thing is that the shows are completely different in Crawley and in Hackney. Because in Hackney, they like it a little bit spicy and they like it a little bit fruity. So we had a ballet dancer the other week with no clothes on 
and he worked really well. And we have burlesque dancers and we have fire eaters. And sometimes some of the acts are a little bit scandalous. And if we tried to put that on in Crawley, it would be like, you're not allowed to do that. In Hackney, people are kind of outraged, but they also love it. So we've got Nelly, she's 104. We've got Irene, she's 107. And we've got all these different men and ladies that are very elegant and very posh. And they've been in Hackney for all their life or, you know, since the 50s, say. And they all come together and congregate. And we have a great party. What are you wearing? I'm wearing a red dress, as you can see, that red dress. Uh, black tights and shoes, punky shoes. <laughs> And a chain, lovely, lovely the necklace. Very, uh, very smart. Very smart, yes, yes. So, you know, I tried to do my best. But um, we did a survey, and we said, in the survey, we said, what's your favourite book, and what's your favourite TV programme, and etc. What's your, uh, do you ever go to theatre, things like that. And for their favourite book, half the people put the Bible, and the other half of people put Fifty Shades of Grey. And I think, in a way, that kind of sums up what the uh, spirit of the place is. Just sing the chorus in any other bits you remember. Darling, could you pump up the wireless? It, it. Lovely. Oh, smashing. Lovely. I'm talking about lantern, innit? You've got to be proud. Yes. Yes. Probably one of our most diverse clubs that we run, the Posh Club in Hackney. There's a huge range of African-Caribbean, Chinese, Asian, white, uh, Irish, you know, kind of like we've got all the bubble that is hackney comes to the posh club in the afternoon. And they all get on in really great style and make new friends and, and have a good time. In hackney, in between the shows, they all go a bit like bananas and like have a right knees up. It only works if the attendees are willing to join in. If they sit there long-faced, it's their loss. If there's music playing and there's laughter, get up and dance and sing and enjoy yourself, and it becomes infectious. You know, we have some people that come, and they may have lost somebody or they may have been a little bit lonely, and so they just come out of their shells a little bit. And for some, it's kind of quite a big thing to come to the posh club because it can be a little bit intimidating sometimes because it's lots of groups of people and lots of people having a good time. But then they settle in and they make new friends and everybody's always chatty. The volunteers and the people that work here are always looking after people and looking out for those people that might not know anybody and making sure they're comfortable and that they'd, they'd like to meet somebody. So it's kind of like that care of, of not just bringing them but then making sure that if they're by themselves, they make new friends or they don't need to make new friends. It's kind of like, you know, it's up to them and we'll just encourage them and look after them to make sure that they, they're doing what they want. So at the Posh Club we've been really lucky. We got some funding from Hackney Council. So Hackney Council gave us money to provide entertainment and tea and cakes and scones and fanciness to the people of Hackney. And I think Hackney Council were pretty good, you know, it's quite unusual that they gave us the money, I think, from the public health department. And the point of it is for older folk happier, healthier in mind and body, you know, mental health, physical health. If you're dancing, if you're meeting your friends, 
it's better than being in your 80s and staying in and watching the telly every day. So the Posh Club Xmas pop-up is running on Thursday the 14th of December, Friday the 15th and Saturday the 16th from 12 noon to 3pm at Elephant and Castle Shopping Centre. And it's every Tuesday in Crawley and every Wednesday in Hackney. So it's time for us to say goodbye and it's the end of the year of Eastcast. We'll be back next year uh, on Resonance 104.4 FM with more sound and stories from East London and beyond. In the meantime, you can find everything on eastcastshow.com. So thanks for listening and join us again next month on Eastcast. So here's a little extra for our podcast listeners from King Tides. Thank you. This song is called Froze.
talk it through Talk it out till you're blue Talk it out, talk it through Talk it out, talk it through